Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We are jumping out of the book of Acts for the next four weeks, and uh, we are going to uh, focus on what, what we're calling the community of the king. And as I read this portion of Scripture today, I want you to ask yourself, what, what does this answer? What, what problem is there that needed to be addressed, and how did God see fit to address it? In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, we're going to begin with the 11th verse. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, for through him, We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. We have heard of your work of reconciliation, Lord. We have asked for the empowerment of your spirit. And we know, we know You are faithful, in which we rejoice. We commit these moments to you and ask you to teach us and apply your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Thursday... I celebrated the anniversary of my ordination. 
every July 18th, I think about what took place back in 1980. Now, I'm especially conscious in telling you the date of that. I just leaned over to Adam and said, you were born in 1980, weren't you? <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah. I said, which month? And he said, May. So he was already born, at least, <laughs> when I was ordained. What I do each year, and look, it, it's important to me, I, I understand that, uh, you know, that's not the kind of anniversary a lot of people celebrate, but what I do is I think back over God's faithfulness over all those years, and He has been so faithful. We went out to dinner, and we, we talked about that, and to me, it's always a, a special thing to remember this week because... Of I was working on this message, I started thinking back over how things have changed, per, changed particularly in communication uh, from the time when I was ordained. When I was ordained and uh, a young assistant pastor, uh, every home had a phone. One, if you were you know, well-to-do. You might have had a couple of phones, maybe uh, more than that. They were, they were stuck to the wall. I'm saying this for the benefit of the, you know, those of you Adams and younger, you know. <laughs> and most of them, you had to actually do this to dial numbers, okay? And uh, that's what we had at the church where I worked, and if somebody called for me, it would go to the secretary, and she would uh, push a button, eh, eh, you know, that was the assistant pastor, and everybody in the church heard it, you know, and it was one button for the, the pastor. And uh, so that's kind of how it started out, and, you know, you went out to do a hospital call, you were out of touch, of course, till you got back. Sometimes I'd get back to church where I'd visited a hospital, and I they would say, oh, somebody else is in there too, you know, and you go, oh, great, well. And then as, as time went on, quite a bit of time uh, went on before we got uh, pagers. You know, first just the doctors had pagers, and they were the ones that you'd hear in, in the service, you know, beep, beep, and somebody would say, oh, it's an emergency, you know. And then pretty soon, uh, you know, businessmen had pagers, and I... I had a, a, we thought we were uptown when I got a pager, and uh, so I'd, I'd be out making a call or something, and I would get paged, I'd say, oh, it's the secretary, and so I would have to get off at the next exit, go find a gas station to do what? Pay phone, yeah. Now, Adam and others, they're a, a payphone. <laughs> uh, that's where you, you know, you would go, it started out as a dime and then got up to a quarter or something. And sometimes you're sitting there behind salesmen and businessmen who were on the payphone and so on. And then you'd call back to the church and they'd tell you whatever it was. So we were way connected at that point. 
And then you know how things went from there. Then eventually there got to be uh, uh, emergency cell phones. Only The rich people had bag phones in their cars. <laughs> and you can ask your grandparents what those were, you know. And then we, uh, we got our first uh, mobile phone, and it was like a walkie-talkie, you know. And it had, I think, we got it just for emergencies because our oldest started driving, and he would keep it in the car, in the box, under the seat. And we had like 10 minutes for the whole month. And, you know, we, but at least we felt connected. And then it got to be, you know, cell phones, then flip phones, and, and now it's data, and, you know, it is uh, social media. Um, I even remember when email came in and a missionary told me about it, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that'll never work. <laughs> I, I really remember that conversation because it sounded so far-fetched. And now, what, you know, what would we do? Well, here's, here's the reason I was thinking through that and even sharing it with you. We have, we have never in my ministry over three-plus decades now. We have never had more ways to stay in touch and up-to-date with people. But in my view, we've never been more disconnected. You know, there, there are some, and you may be one of these, that will barely pick up a phone at all now and talk on the phone. It's always got to be a text or, well, we'll put it on Facebook or whatever. I'm not rebuking anybody. I don't mean it to come across that way. I'm just kind of sitting back and observing how in some ways disconnected. You know, you go to, go to a restaurant, and how often do you see a husband and wife sitting across from each other and they're both on their phones talking to other people somewhere. And, you know, we see that all the time. There is a, a disconnect. And it's been a trend, a long-time trend. We went from my parents' generation sitting on the front porch. You remember that? Some of you may still do it. I hope so. Sitting on the front porch to a generation saying, I want a back patio or a back deck and hopefully a privacy fence around that. And in our neighborhood, virtually everyone drives into the neighborhood. This includes us, by the way. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not immune to this. Drives into the neighborhood, and as you get close to your house, you kind of figure out how far away your button you know, will raise your your garage, and as soon as you're within range, you push the button so you can time it so, you know, as the garage door's coming up, you can, you can get in, and then the garage door closes behind. When I was growing up, we called that the Bat Cave. Batman did that, and now, to a great degree, people in neighborhoods and so it's not uncommon not to know your neighbors or certainly those more than a house away from you. Robert Putnam wrote the book Bowling Alone. 
And uh, he, he pointed out that in the 60s and 70s, bowling was among the nation's most popular team sports. Churches had bowling teams. You know, it was a very common thing. Uh, with almost 10% of Americans participating in bowling league, now he points out that Americans have started bowling alone. And so, he, you know, he, that was just one indicator in his view. He feels that's just a symptom of the fact that by almost every measure, people have withdrawn socially, politically, and his view is they are less, Americans are less connected than ever. And sadly, churches are experiencing that as well. Our attendance, praise be to God, in our church is up. And it's going in that direction. Church attendance in the United States of America is down. And that's the trend it's off by as much as 10% of what it was in recent decades. Some even view the, the rise of the megachurches as being an indicator that even those that do believe want to withdraw by being in, in a big crowd, a bigger crowd where there's less accountability and so on. Now, all of that might sound discouraging, I don't, I don't see it that way. I am convinced it presents an amazing opportunity for the church and for our church to speak into the lives of people who, whether they know it or not, are, are disconnected, maybe more disconnected. And you may not be feeling that, but you know what? Those that are disconnected don't necessarily feel that. They're just, they've, they've just, uh, it's the frog in the kettle. They've just slowly uh, become that way. But it gives us the opportunity for even those that aren't feeling the need to demonstrate and offer genuine community. And that's a, that's a great opportunity that we have. Now, what's the Bible Tell us about this and how can we address it. We, we will move quickly. That, this was really an introduction to our whole four weeks. We were made to live in community. You go clear back to the book of Genesis. The need for fellow, fellowship or friendship or community isn't something that was invented by churches in order to get people into small groups. That wasn't where that need came from. Uh, let, me, let me make a radical statement. God is not enough for you. Thank you for not heading for the exits after that. I told you it'd be radical. Let me tell you why I say that. Now, ultimately, the bottom line is yes. But here's what we see in the garden. We see Adam, and he had the perfect creation. He had all the animals. He was 
the little boy that had anything he could possibly want, really? You know, isn't this great? I even get to name him, whatever I want to name him. He's enjoying this creation. His work that he has given is fulfilling. It's, it's not hard. It's not toilsome. As far as he knew, he was completely happy and fulfilled. And he had, he had all of God. All of him. And after each day of creation, God pronounced a benediction. He said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. A good word, that's what a benediction is. And then he pronounced his first malediction. And by the way, this is before sin came into the world. He said, it is not good. And you know what it was pertaining to, that man should be alone. There was something missing. He had all of God, but God created Adam and us in such a way that we need one another. And so, he gave him Eve. And it was good. Now, that need was not out of imperfection because sin had not entered the world yet. In his book, Stephen Garber, in his book, Fabric of Faithfulness, um, says this, one of the most dramatic features of an ongoing vital faith is an authentic community. If there are Christians, they need to see other older Christians living out a life that lines up with the gospel. That means we as the church who has gone ahead of them, need to be repenting together, worshiping together, giving our time and money together, and serving together. We were created for that. Now, to Ephesians 2. And I I literally, I told uh, Paul and Adam this morning when we got together to pray, I said, I yesterday cut two pages out of my sermon for today. So if we get a little long at any point, just say, thank you, Lord, that on Saturday he realized. (laughs) But those were two pages of exegesis of Ephesians 2. There's so much in there. And I just want to acknowledge that right up front so you don't think that I think I'm actually completely covering it here in these moments. What we see here, I, I told you to think about what, uh, what is this answering? What problem is there? What need is there? There is an alienation. Now, we need to uh, understand that there was a divide between Jews and Gentiles. It wasn't small. It wasn't simple. It wasn't shallow. We may say, oh, we got big divides in our country. This was bigger. This was more profound. Understand that. They had religious divides. And even among the Christians. You have the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. And they, they couldn't get along. They looked down on each other. They had the cultural and social divide. 
After all, the, the Jews and then the Jewish Christians were used to all the ceremonies and practices, the circumcision, the dietary regulations, the rules of cleanliness, and so on. And all of those were designed to set the Jews apart from every other nation and to uh, show God's holiness. And so the Gentiles come along, and they say, well, we've come to Christ, but they don't practice any of those things. And, and so the Jewish Christians, they couldn't wrap their minds and hearts around that. They couldn't grasp that. And there were racial divides between them, their bloodlines going back in conflict with one another. And then verse 14 says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was the court of the Gentiles and the courts of Israel, and there was a wall, and if you crossed it, it meant death. And what this passage is saying, you're just going to have to go back and study it yourself, but what this passage is saying is that dividing wall that meant death if you crossed over, Jesus kicked it down to where there was, there's no wall. And if you're putting a wall up between the two of you, it's an imaginary wall because that's why Jesus went to the cross for reconciliation between God and the Jew, reconciliation between God and the Gentile, and the application of that is reconciliation between the Gentile and the Jewish Christian. That wall that was there is no longer there. And that's what this is about. Now, why do I bring this up pertaining to our community? Well, at least to my knowledge, we don't presently have issues, divides within the church here at St. Andrews. But we do have different generations, and there are divides there. And we do have many that don't know each other. When we were in Ukraine, uh, two people on our team uh, were talking with each other, and they were talking about somebody in the church that one of them didn't know. And our interpreter said, how big is your church that you don't know everybody in it? Now understand she came from a house church with 10, 12 people in it. And so when they told her the size of our church, that was overwhelming to her. Now, look, I I get it. Whether you think we're big or small depends on your other experiences with church. We have some people that come to St. Andrews and they say, Yeah, we wanted to find a small church, so we're here at St. Andrews because they were in a real big church and they felt like, you know, they needed something smaller. And then we have some that come to St. Andrews and go, whoa, this is such a big church. So it's, it's a matter of perspective. But let's just stipulate we are of a size that we all can't know everybody in the church. And if we're not careful... 
that can become a divide or at least non-community. And you know what? We're even big enough. Some of you may be doing this. We're big enough where people can hide here. They can come here to hide. So we see this as uh, uh, the framework. Now, how can we accomplish all, you know, what, what Jesus, you know, what Paul here rather says is true because of what Jesus did on the cross? How do we work that out? How can we show that to the world by our actions? that there is reconciliation here. What do we do? Well, I've given you the theological base. We were created to live in community, and God made the way on the cross for community. We're going to spend the next few minutes just in application and more next week and in the next couple of weeks after that where Uh, Mark Rattray and Adam Williams will be preaching those last two messages. Our faith is meant to be practiced in community. I said we we were created to be in community, but our faith is meant to be practiced in community. This fall, we are beginning community groups that will meet on Sunday evenings. They will, for the most part, be divided geographically, And we'll spend time in application of Sunday's sermons. You know, one of one of the the challenges, maybe, maybe trying to figure out Sunday's sermons sometimes, huh? One of the challenges is, you know, with all the studies going on, we have great studies going on in the churches. We even in that we can become disjointed. And a lot of what I do on a Sunday morning, I just told you I left out two pages of work that I had done, a lot of what I do in presenting a message is figuring out what I, what I can't say on a Sunday. So by having a Sunday evening community group, there'll be opportunity to go deeper into some areas. And sometimes it will be something that I just barely touched on. The college group's been working uh, in community groups this, this summer, and they have found that. Sometimes it's just it's out of one sentence or one quote that becomes a whole discussion that they, they wouldn't have been able to have if, if they hadn't done that. You'll hear more about uh, their experience in, in future weeks. What led us to consider community groups? Well, I am convinced that communi- community groups will help us live out our Vision 2017 and our mission, which is to help people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love Him more, and serve Him better. And I think that community groups will help us with that. Here's why. I just said our faith was meant to be practiced in community. We see that a private faith is unknown in the Bible. In the early church, in Acts chapter 2, and we spent a good bit of time in that when, in going through Acts. But you remember what happened. There on the day of Pentecost, there's a, a, a message preached a, a, a number of people uh, come to Christ. Thousands. And then what happened to them? Did they say, well, let's, 
we got to build a worship center big enough for all of us. Here's what took place. It says, all who believed, this is verse 44 of Acts 2, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, that was part of it. That's, that's what we do here. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You see what happened? In God's wisdom, in His providence, He didn't just leave them all out there as either one big group or as individuals. He put them together. And He put them together for for worship, and then He put them together to break bread together, to talk, to pray. Verse 42 says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking the bread and prayers. That's what they were spending their time doing. We see the Apostle Paul. You know the the account of his conversion. How on the road to Damascus, this one that was completely hopeless and helpless without Christ is called to Christ, and what did, what did God see fit to do? Boom, immediately. Those with him were told where to take him, to be with God's people, and in a small group, basically. There's no such thing as a private Christianity. Chuck Colson argues this in his book, The Body. Christians who understand their personal identity as followers of Christ will not make a widespread difference in the decline and decay around us unless we have a high view of the corporate identity as the body of Christ, that corporate aspect. Christianity is not a solitary belief system. Any genuine resurgence of Christianity, as as history demonstrates, depends on a reawakening and renewal of What is the essence of the faith? That is the people of God, the new society, the body of Christ, which is made manifest in the world, the church. Privatized faith weakens the church and hinders the church's witness to the world. Secondly, learning is best in community. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Even learning is greater in community. We begin to experience Jesus not just from our eyes, but from the eyes and through the eyes and experiences of others. On one of our trips to England when uh, we were uh, meeting with missionaries and the church planters there to encourage them, in fact, it happened to be the one where uh, the volcano went off, and we were stuck there. And so we took a side trip one day because we couldn't get on a plane to come home. And uh, we went to um, Oxford. And in Oxford, we ate lunch at uh, the pub, The Eagle and Child, in St. Giles, Oxford. 
The only reason I wanted to eat there, I hadn't heard anything about the food. I wanted to eat there because that's the pub where J.R.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams and C.S. Lewis used to sit around and drink their beer and talk theology. I saw the table where they did that. Couldn't sit there. Somebody was occupying it. So. <laughs> but here's, here's what C.S. Lewis said when Charles Williams died. He said, I lost a part of Tolkien. Now, hear that. Williams dies, and C.S. Lewis said, I lost a part of J.R. Tolkien when he died. It was the part that only Charles Williams could bring out. You see what he's saying? It, it was their dynamic. It was their interaction that Lewis couldn't even bring out of him, but this other one brought out of him, and he was richer because of that. And they were all richer because they had met together. And that's the beauty of what we are seeking to accomplish with, with community groups. And there is encouragement. Uh, on Friday, uh, after Bible school was over and I was kind of finishing up here uh, for the day, uh, I saw somebody and they said, what are you doing now? And I was in shorts and stuff. I said, well, I'm going to go walk the dam. Well, uh, so I went out to walk the dam, and, and uh, he said, well, I, we're going to be down there on the other side later on. So I kind of knew somebody may be driving by. So I had walked across, and I was walking back, and I heard uh, a car horn beeping, and uh, his family was hanging out the windows, you, you know, smiling and, and saying, you know, wonderful things to me. Uh, and when I heard it honking, I, you know, I just waved and I saw him go. And it was, it was so neat. It was, a, you know, like it uplifted me there for a few minutes. And not five minutes later, probably three or four minutes later, another car came by and I was walking that way. So they came from behind me. And it was a car full of, the only one I could see was a young man hanging out the window. And he yelled at me something about, you know, you're walking because you can't run or something like that. <laughs> you think I was uplifted by that? That pretty much wrecked the rest of my walk. <laughs> it, it made me, you know, I, I, these kinds of things went through my mind. Yeah, well, you pull over in the parking lot up there, and <laughs> let me tell you how long I ran. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm having this fictional conversation with this person that didn't know me from anybody. And... He was probably in Lexington by the time I finished, and he'd forgotten all about it and was, you know, bugging somebody else, I'm sure. By the way, if that was anybody here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. 
words will encourage or discourage. You see that? I mean, it changed my mood just like that. No kidding. I wasn't looking for an illustration. It just happened. And I went from being uplifted because of kind and fun words to all kinds of, you know, negative thoughts and stuff that was silly even on my end to think about a response. Well, we have the opportunity to share good words with each other in community groups. Here's the caution. Don't wait until you're in trouble or in need to reach out for friendships. You know, I often hear from people when, when they go through a trauma here at St. Andrews, they, they say, I didn't know so many people cared about me. And, it, it, you know, when I hear that, I'm both encouraged and saddened. I'm encouraged because I know how loving our people are. But I'm saddened that they didn't know how many people really cared about them. And so if you find yourself in a community group and if you find yourself facing a difficult time, you know what, they're, they're going to be the ones closest to you. They're going to be the ones right there with you. Hobart Maurer, uh, who was, is an emeritus professor of psychiatry at the University of Illinois, by his own profession is neither a Christian nor a theist. That's what he says. Um, but he once described himself as having a lover's quarrel with the church. When asked what he meant by this, this is what he replied. That the church had failed him when he was a teenager and continued to fail his parents today. And they said, how? He said, because the church has never learned the secret of community. Now that may be an unfair assessment because some churches, many churches, are genuine communities. But his statement comes from a bitter experience. And that could be, that could be one of the most damaging criticisms I've heard of the church. The greatest need and the greatest opportunity for our church to shine as the church is through authentic community. When people see that happening in a disconnected world, it's also my view that there may be no more powerful tool to reach our world than to model and offer authentic community to a world that's disconnected. Let's pray together. Lord, you're the one that created us this way. Will you help us to, to be in touch with that need to connect, not to withdraw? Will you help us to see the beauty and the opportunity to grow just simply by being around others, by talking out loud with others, by sharing our, 
our faith, but maybe sharing our doubts and our questions together. As iron sharpens iron, we pray that you would teach us and encourage us and connect us first with you and then with one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.